So let me ask you a question as we get kind of started today. I'm going to put a picture on the screen, and I just wonder how many of you actually remember this thing. All right, so you can put that up. How many of you remember that? There you go. Remember when you used to take a trip and you'd get in the car and the only way you knew how to get there was good old Rand, right? And you'd open it up and it would look something like this. Can I get an amen? That is worth crying about. Amen. (laughs) Get that, right? And you had to figure this out. Do you remember that? How many of you were the navigators? Like you had this over on the side and you were navigating, right? You'd figure it out and you'd look and you'd wait till you got to the big cities because the big cities got their own map, right? And, and I don't know if you remember this, but in a lot of them, Tennessee would be two pages because it was so long. They folded over to East Tennessee. So I always remember going to Knoxville, you get to turn the page over, right? Maybe that was a knockoff version of Rand McNally. I don't remember. But all this was kind of normal. This is how you live. I remember going uh, on trips. When my family would pull this out, uh, when I, I started dating Susan and we would go, her dad um, and her mom, they, they, they studied this thing. They didn't study as much as the Bible, but it was a close second, all right? And they had a special place in their house for the Rand McNally Atlas, which was under the, the chair that sat in the living room. I'm convinced that they went through about three different versions of living room furniture, but that chair remained because they didn't know where to put the map. Unless they had the chair. It's where it stayed. Now, when I was in college, this new thing came along. And you could get online and you could put in where you were going and you would get step-by-step directions. The site that I used was called MapQuest. How many of you remember MapQuest? There's a picture of MapQuest, right? And this is all you got. You got step-by-step instructions and that was it, right? When I moved to Goodlettsville seven years ago, uh, I bought my very first GPS. Isn't life much better with a GPS? Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord today? Amen, right? This is the first GPS I had was a Garmin. You may have had a TomTom or a Bill and Tom. I don't know what you had, but you had this. And it would give you step-by-step as best it could and go along the way. And now we're at the point now where most of us in this room have GPS on our phones, right? And so the good thing is we never get lost ever again, right? Listen, I, I found some pictures this week. We didn't, we're not going to put them up, but of people that have driven into lakes following the voice on the GPS. Right? It was one guy over in Europe that went down a hiking trail filled with goats and he couldn't get back because it didn't know how to tell him to get back. Well, long before GPS, I was traveling with some friends from college. Some of you have been around for a long time. You may have heard me tell this story. We traveled with a bunch of friends from college, and we were going to Paoli Peaks. How many of you know Paoli Peaks? Greatest ski spot in Paoli Peaks, right? It's You go up there and you ski. It's a ski resort, and it was winter break, and we went up there as a group of friends, and we stayed in Paducah, Kentucky the night before. And on this particular trip, it was uh, me and Susan was on the trip, but we weren't dating yet, and I was trying to impress her because... I liked her and she didn't know me that, she didn't like me that well at that point. And so we were trying to, we were trying, you know, I was trying to be a a guy. You know, I was the navigator. 
And so we leave Paducah, Kentucky. We're going to Paoli Peaks, Indiana, and we're driving, and everything is great. We're driving. We're good. We're on the interstate. I'm the one giving the internet. Go here, go here, take here, go this exit here. This was long before Google would tell you, get in the next three lanes on the right and take the exit, all right? And so I'm doing that. You're going to want to be in the right lane. You're going to get here. You sure we're going? Oh, I'm sure we're going on the right. We're, we're, we're good. We're gold. Now, again, we, we, where did we leave? Paducah, Kentucky, and we were going to... Indiana, and uh, suddenly we see a sign that says, Welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> um, we might not be going the right direction. Any of you guys ever had one of those moments? And at that moment, I had to say the line that no guy likes to say. No guy likes to say this line, and so we're going to practice this, guys, all right? We're going to put it up on the screen, all right? And so, guys, just for me, can you say this with me on the count of three? One, two, three. I am lost. I said, we don't have a clue where we're going. This is the embarrassing thing. I had to turn over navigator duties. I had to hand the Rand McNally to someone else. One of the most humiliating moments of my life, right? Here you take it. We call those moments, those sudden epiphanies, those sudden realizations, those sudden moments, we call them aha moments. Like, all of a sudden, it just makes sense. Or you realize something's not right. Or you realize that you've been going in the wrong direction. You realize that things ought to be different or You're not sure how you got where you got, but you're not glad that you're there. Now, if you're just on the road, it might cause you a couple of hours, just by chance, of going the wrong direction to get back on the right path. But if it happens in life, sometimes the consequences are much more grave. We're starting a brand new series of messages here today called the AHA moments. And we're going to talk about throughout Scripture, these moments in the lives of people when they suddenly get it, when it suddenly clicks, when all of a sudden everything comes into focus. Do you remember back, it's probably been, I guess, 20 years ago now, those, those drawings or paintings, I don't know what they were, that they would make, that were the 3D images? And they didn't look like magic eye, I think they were called. They didn't look like anything, but you stared there and you stared there. And if you got, it's something about letting your eyes relax at the right or level. All of a sudden, this image would come into focus. How many of you remember those things? Sometimes life's like that. Sometimes the problem's like that. In Scripture, we're going to look at instance after instance where people suddenly clicked, where they suddenly got it. And see what happens out of it. Now, here's what I want to tell you. That in every one of those instances, what we see for those that respond like they're supposed to are three steps. There's an awakening to the reality of what's happening. There's an honesty about where they are. And there's action that's taken to correct it. Awakening. Honesty. In action. Can I tell you something? For the next five weeks that I'll be preaching, you can write that down as the outline every week. Because it's just, it's not a formula, it's just the reality. 
Now, let's think about your own life. Don't you have those moments when it suddenly clicked, when something suddenly happened and you were awakened and those moments when you were honest with yourself about what was happening and you took action or those moments where you saw change and those moments when maybe there was an awakening and you weren't honest and you didn't take action, you found yourself back in the same spot. Take even my faux pas in directions. When we saw the sign that said, Welcome to Tennessee, we could have stayed in denial and just kept on trucking to Nashville. But we, I, had to be honest, and we had to course correct and take some action. This morning, we're going to start this series looking at perhaps one of the most famous instances of an aha moment in history. Not just in the Bible, but people know this story. It's not even a real story. It's a parable. It's a story that Jesus told to make a point. But it's got this classic line of aha. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. If you didn't bring your Bible with you today, the the words will be up on the screen. It's all going to be right there for you to follow along. And we're going to look at this story of aha. Luke chapter 15. Luke's here, uh, Luke is telling us the story of Jesus teaching. And Jesus has taught for, for many passages in the book of Luke. But in this particular one, he is focusing in on stories of people that are losing something. In chapter 15, verse 11, the story starts and he said there was a man who had two Sons. Now, that's important. It'll be much more important at the end of the message than at the beginning of the message. But just remember the two sons. Most of you know that. And the younger of them said to his father, Dad, listen, you provided a really good life for us. I love what you're doing. I know that uh, when you die, I'm supposed to get my inheritance. And um, here's the reality. I, I, I just would like to go ahead and get that now. Can I just go ahead and get that now? And I'll take it and be off your hands. In that society, it would have been a monumental thing for this son to ask. In fact, what he was basically saying was, Dad, I would rather you die and me get the money than do you live and me stay here. So he goes to his dad. He asks for his inheritance. And the father gives him the property. He says, take it and go with it. And it tells us in the next verse that the son took the money. Not many days later, he took some days to get it together, get a plan together. He got his Rand McNally Atlas out and he went on a journey. And the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey into a far country. Now, when Jesus is telling that story, this is much more important than just location. The the far country means he went as far away from the dad as he could. He distanced himself as much as he could from anybody else around that would know him, that would know about him, that would know what he had done, that would be able to keep him accountable, that would be able to say anything about him. And he just retreats into isolation in a distant country. And while there, he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, when the Bible stacks words like squandered and reckless together, it just emphasizes how completely ridiculous he was in the way he lived. And when he had spent, how much did he spend? All of it. Y'all know what everything means, right? 
Everything. It's gone. Nothing. Now, some people like to call things coincidences. Jesus is going to show you here that this is circumstances that should have alerted him that something was wrong. When he had spent everything. So right at the moment when he hits rock bottom, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. You know what I've discovered? And you read this story, you realize that if you don't have any money and the depression is hit, you're in bad shape. And so this Jewish man, it tells us in the next verse, went and hired himself out to the citizens of that country who himself hired him to go into the fields to feed pigs. And as he's there feeding the pigs, he longs to be fed with the pods the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Now let's just stop there for a minute. This is a Jewish man who it was offensive to touch or eat pigs. And his job has become to take care of them and he's longing for the food that the pigs eat. Now let me ask you just a quick question. What do we generally call food that pigs eat? Slop. Y'all knew that, right? How many of you worked on a pig farm? Probably not many of you. Maybe a couple of you. Here's what I know. I, I don't really know what makes up slop. But I don't want it on the lunch table this afternoon. Can I get an amen? Right? I don't want it. And for him, he had gotten to that desperate situation where he was longing to eat that. This was as low as it could get. And then we have that next phrase immediately after that. But when he came to himself. Well, my favorite phrase is in all of Scripture. Some, phrase, some translations say, when he came to his senses. When he woke up. How do you wake up in the morning? How many of you here just naturally just wake up? The rhythm of life wakes you up. Yeah, I don't like you. All right. How many, how many of you have to have an alarm clock of some sort, right? Now, let me ask you a question. You remember, do you remember the alarm clocks? We, you didn't get to choose what it sounded like. How many of you remember those, right? How many of you still wake up to one of those? All right. You know why those things were effective? Because it was the most annoying sound possible, right? I've, I've heard some people are, are waking up to music they like. Or, or they, they wake up to, uh, like on my phone, you can set a different, I'm sure on many of your phones, so that's what I use as my alarm clock is my phone. And you can set all kinds of things. And I got on the other day, there was one that was harp music. You know what I would do if I heard harp music? I'd go back to sleep, right? There was one that was ocean waves. That ain't going to work in the morning, all right? You know what I need in the morning? I need the, the reveille. I need the trump. I need Bill Lars beside my bed playing a trumpet, right? And here's what I've discovered. The effectiveness of an alarm is directly tied to how much I don't want to hear it. Right? The more annoying the sound the more likely I am to get up. And the less likely I'm hit to hit snooze because if I hit snooze, I've got to hear it again in eight, nine, ten minutes, whatever your particular preference is, right? Here's what I find interesting about this guy. In the story, he should have awakened before now. Maybe when the wallet started to get a little lighter, I better check some things, maybe when it ran out, maybe when the famine hit, maybe when he took a job at the pigsty, maybe when he's, 
You get the point? I mean, it should have come earlier than it did. But for him, it comes at this moment. And at the very moment when he's looking at the pot of food that the pigs are eating, thinking, man, that looks good. It's not ocean waves going off. It's that old school alarm clock buzzing. And he's awakened to the reality of where he is. Now, here's the thing for us. My guess is, now it may be, my guess is your awakening moment isn't going to come in a pigsty looking at the pods of food. But when you walk away from the Father, or when even in your life you begin to slip away from following Him closely, He will continually bring up things and allow things in your life to make you aware of what's happening. And perhaps for you, the alarm cock waking you up, it's not looking at the pods of food in a pigsty, but maybe it's the report card in the mail. Maybe it's the pink slip at work. Maybe it's the subpoena or the papers arriving in the mail. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a test. That's positive. Maybe it's when you find yourself in your home or out one night drinking alone. Maybe it's that moment when you realize that it's finally caught up to you and you can't transfer the money between three different accounts anymore. Maybe it's that moment that you click erase browser history for the third time that day. What's your awakening moment? What's the alarm clock in your life? For this man, it was the pods and the pigsty. But he had opportunities all along the way to not let it get that bad. When you find yourself in a place in life that you wish you weren't in or you don't know how you got there and you wish you could get out of, the first step it takes is being awakened to what's really happening there. This man sees it. He understands it. For the last time. Now the truth is. We could label him a heavy sleeper. Anybody here a heavy sleeper? Anybody spouse here a heavy sleeper? There's people looking at each other now. You know the one that. Now I'm not talking about those of you that have like babies. And you act like you don't hear the baby in the night. I'm talking about people that are actually legitimately heavy did you know the baby was up no it was up twice last wow i didn't know that i'm talking about genuinely heavy sleepers here's the thing there are a lot more people that are heavy sleepers in life than they are in the bed God tries to get their attention. In fact, in Second Chronicles, he's talking about the Old Testament, the people of God. He says, over and over, I tried to warn them. Over and over, I tried to let them know things were happening. Over and over, I tried to give them a chance to come back. And they just kept ignoring it. Because of my love for them, I gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And what I would say to you here today is, if there's an area of your life, maybe you've walked away from the church, maybe you've walked away from God, maybe you've never been a part of God's family, and you have walked away from all of that, and you You know in your life right now there are things that are happening that are a direct result of that. Or you don't know how to get through things in your life. Perhaps today it's an awakening, a moment, a wake-up call for you here and now. 
God will speak through His Word if you will listen. He will speak through other people. He'll speak through consequences in your life. He will speak through the examples of others. And this man, when he sees it, he comes to himself. He awakens to the reality of what he's doing. And then the second thing we see is just absolute brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. It says right here, the second thing, he came to himself and then he said to himself, that's what the original says, he said to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough, but I perish here with hunger. You know what he's saying? He's saying a couple of things in this passage. What he's admitting brutal honesty is I made a mistake in asking for my dad's inheritance. I made a mistake when I ran away from the father. I made a mistake when I squandered the living that I had. I made a mistake when I went to the pigsty. I made a mistake when I stayed here instead of going back to the father. I was wrong. Every step of the way, I was wrong. It was a sin. It was not right. I am admitting. You know why he has to admit it now? It's because every step along the way, he hasn't admitted that. He's justified it, or he's denied it, or he's just minimized what's happening. But here he finally says to himself, I am wrong. And let me be honest with you today. If you're going to find yourself in a place where God can use you in a major way going forward, you have to be awakened to the reality of where you are. But then you have to be brutally, deadly honest with yourself about it. We don't like to do that. We like to minimize our own sin, our own problems. Well, I know, but it wasn't as bad as... I mean, but you didn't understand my circumstances. This guy looks and he says, i got to do something about it. When was the last time you were brutally honest with yourself about your relationship with God? Let me just say, most of us are really good at playing the game. We're really good at making things kind of feel right and excusing this behavior and thinking through that. But when was the last time you were brutally honest about your relationship with the Father? He comes to himself. He says. And then the last one is he acts. He does something about it. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him. You can go on to the next one. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Then the next verse says, so he got up and he went and he came to his father. Awakening, honesty, and action. He says, I've got to do something about it. And here's the remarkable, revolutionary thing. He does. And there are a lot of people that have something in their life, some direction they need to go, some place they need to, to, to visit, some way they need to change their lives, and they awaken to it. They, they're honest with themselves. I really got to do this better. I really got to do this more. But their action doesn't follow. Now, I'm going to tell you something just as an example, and this is not a spiritual example, but you'll get the point. And I'm just as guilty of this as anybody. You know the month that gyms are the fullest in this country, don't you? January. I have people that tell me I go to the gym 12 months a year. Well, let me rephrase that. I go 11 months again. I don't go in January. I just wait for all of them to quit going. 
Right? Because you're not going to follow through with the action. Here's what's impressive about this guy and this story is he gets up and he does what he's supposed to do. He doesn't procrastinate. He doesn't put it off. He doesn't doesn't try to wiggle out of it. He doesn't do it half-heartedly. He wholeheartedly is going to the Father. Now, here's what I love about the story. And if you know the rest of the story, most of you do. All of you probably do. You know that he gets home and before he can get that spill out of his mouth, what happens? The dad comes after him. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the dad looks at him. And I love this, what it says in the next verse. The father doesn't even respond to that. Do you see that? He doesn't say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. He he acts like he didn't even say it. He just turns to his servants and said, get the robe, put it on him, get the ring, shoes on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, we're going to eat, we're going to celebrate. For the son of mine was gone. He was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he was found. And they began to celebrate. There are some of you that are worried about the Father's reaction if you were to come home to Him today. Jesus tells this story so we don't ever have to worry about the Father's reaction. Now now the truth is you may have grown up in a home where you did. Where you had to worry about your mom or your dad's reaction. You had to concern yourself with how they were going to react. But Scripture tells us we never have to wonder about how our Heavenly Father will react. He will run to us He will embrace us and He will tell them, celebrate because what was lost is found. It's time to have a party. One last thing and then we're going to go. How many brothers were there? Two. Most of you know the rest of the story, but don't you expect in a story like this, in Hollywood, what would happen is the other brother comes in and they reunite, they run from across the room, the music starts to play, there's slow motion happening, right? Because brothers don't shake, brothers hug, right? And so they're there and they're, you would expect that that's the ending. The dad calls them in and the brother's there and everybody's excited. Woo, we're having a party. But is that what happens here? No. And here's what's interesting is, Jesus, in telling the story, shows us the opposite of aha. I don't have a cute three-letter word for that, all right? But it's the opposite. The brother comes home, and the big brother, what happens with him? Well, here's what Scripture says. Now, his oldest son was in the field. And as he came to the house, he heard music, dancing. Called one of the servants and asked, what's going on here? Is there a party? Did I miss it? And the servant says, well, your brother came home. They killed a fatted calf. They loved it because he's here. And they've received him back safe and sound. We're excited. They're having a party. And the brother says, what? Here's what I want you to notice. This was an awakening moment for him. Because here's what I want you to understand before we even get to the rest of this. Is just because you live close to the Father doesn't mean you know the Father. Just because you're near the house doesn't mean you have a relationship with the dad. In other words, just because you sit in a pew doesn't mean you know the Father any better than those that don't. 
It's not about what you do. In fact, that's what he tries to say. He says, he was, and I'll just let you know, the word angry there doesn't do justice to the original language because it is fired up mad. Like boiling over, about to explode, simmering underneath with rage. He says, I ain't going to the party. His father, look, even here, the father's coming to him. What are you doing out here? Come on. It's been many years. And the son says, Dad, I ain't going in. Listen to me. I have served you while he's been gone, squandering your wealth, while he asked that you would be dead and left. I have been serving you faithfully here. I have never disobeyed your command. I never got anything from you. Can I tell you the point of the story when Jesus told it was not the younger son and it wasn't the dad. It was this brother. Because he's speaking to the people that knew the law the best, that knew the Bible the best and didn't understand what God was doing. And were mad because Jesus was accepting people that weren't as righteous as them. And what you see in here is... There are two ways to disobey God. One is to go into rebellion and to go in the distant country and to squander his wealth and to lose everything. The other way is to be so religious that you miss the relationship. And this guy is self-righteous. He is condescending. He is critical of others. And he feels a sense of entitlement. And unfortunately, he sounds a lot like believers in America today. And the dad says to him, I love this. It was always here. Everything I have is yours. Don't you see? Your brother was dead. And he's alive. And I'm not going to apologize for celebrating one who has been rescued from rock bottom. Awakening. Honesty. Action. Can I ask you just a straightforward question today? Is there something in your life that God is awakening and asking you to be brutally honest about and take action on today? Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an attitude towards a family member. Maybe it's an attitude towards somebody in the church. Maybe it's an attitude towards the church. Maybe it's an attitude towards somebody that you work with or a family member or a schoolmate or somebody that you're in social circles with. What is he awakening you to being honest about in your life and take action? Maybe it's something that's secret that nobody really knows about and you've been living with it for years and God is awakening you to the fact that you can't carry that burden on your own. Maybe you're like the prodigal son and you've gone into the distant country and you've lived there and you have lived recklessly there. And you've squandered things and you're here today because somebody said come and you don't really even know why you're here. You started coming a few weeks ago and you're not really sure what kind of is in the midst of it. But you know something's happening and these circumstances in your life are lining up for him to awaken you to something. I mean, basically the question is, what is the aha moment that God is calling you to right now? For some of you in this room, you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never accepted his free gift of forgiveness. And can I tell you that the first and most important aha moment you will ever have is that.
And this morning, perhaps, it's time for you to respond to him.